All right, psychology nerds, welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. We've got a great episode today with an amazing UWGB psych alum who is doing amazing things. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But first, I want to remind you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can do that by searching for Psychology and Stuff in both places. You can get involved in the conversation, learn a ton about psychology, and even offer us suggestions for a future episode. We take requests. And with that, Let's get to today's episode. Lorenzo Loans is a 2016 graduate of the Psychology and Human Bio programs here at University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, and he's now a neuroscience graduate student at Washington University. He's doing a TEDx talk tomorrow night at the Widener Center for the Performing Arts here at TEDx-Green Bay. His talk is titled, Lorenzo, what is your talk title? The talk is titled, Timing is Everything. Timing is Everything. That's what I thought, but in my notes I wrote XXXXX, implying that I was going to fill in that blank later, <laughs> and then I didn't fill in that blank. So uh, uh, anyways, it's uh, about his work at Wash U, which is literally about curing cancer. Is that a fair description? Looking at ways, different ways to treat cancer. Okay. I don't know if we're going to cure it. That's okay. kind of extreme, but yeah. I'm being so. bold. I agree. It's extreme, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I want to, first of all, how's it going? Good. Not too bad. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it's glad, always good to be back. Glad to have campus. you. You have been in another episode of this about a year ago because you did a side talk. And by the way, that side talk, which was also called Timing is Everything, I know it's similar to this one. We're going to put that in the show notes. Um, but this is a much, much bigger audience as far as, I guess the audience that night will be about the same size, but the the audience online is much, much larger than the side talk. How are you feeling about the talk? Uh, well, I'm obviously nervous. It'll be probably the biggest audience that I've ever spoken in front of, but um, it at least gives me some type of comfort that I've given this talk before. So right. hopefully I'm going to try and ride the, cur- the coattails on that. So. so for our listeners who haven't yet heard it, by the time this episode comes out, you will have done the TEDx talk, but it probably won't be live yet. So people will still have to wait maybe a few weeks, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get that out to people as soon as, as it is live. Tell us about it. What, what's it about? Yeah, so uh, basically the talk is going to be, I'm going to talk about, so the idea that timing is everything is kind of like this, you know, cool little expression but I basically go into like a personal story of how I got to where I am and how the timing of um, the school psychologist who basically you know put me on track to go to college and really inspired me she's very influential but then also it I talk about a personal story but then I also kind of tie in the research that's being done at WashU about uh, timing and so I try and tell a personal story along with some you know research that suggests timing really is uh, important and a lot more a lot more important than than we uh, make it out to be probably. So let's talk about that research you're doing because it's really incredible. And I want to kind of break it down for our listeners, but know that our listeners are not going to know as much about this as you do. Of course, <laughs> so, yeah. So break it down in a language I can understand, I guess. Yeah, no. So basically, uh, I work with uh, Dr. Eric Herzog, who he's a circadian biologist. And you know, normally when you hear about circadian rhythms, uh, you immediately think of like sleep, which is. It's, it's right. Uh, sleep is probably the most pervasive circadian rhythm, but um, in general, circadian rhythms, we use it to talk about any behavior or physiological process that's that happens and oscillates on a 24-hour cycle. And so as it turns out, uh, there are genes in your genome that are responsible for generating these rhythms. So things like your body temperature fluctuate daily and hormone secretion fluctuates daily, your metabolism fluctuates daily. And so essentially what uh, the Herzog lab is interested in asking is how is it that these genes regulate these different processes in the body to 
you know, to like homeostatic levels. And so that's basically in, in basically a little bit about the research is it was it was striking that we found out that there was a drug that to treat glioblastoma that has like a time dependent when you use it at certain times a day, it's more effective than when you use it at other times a day, which is interesting just because normally every prescription is like you wake up and you take this tablet and then you go to sleep and you take this tablet. But this research kind of suggests that maybe we should analyze people's circadian rhythms and then prescribe medications based off of where they are in a circadian cycle because you may get a bigger effect. Um, and so that's basically what the research is, is, is about. All right. So can you tell people what glioplastoma is? Yeah, so glioblastoma, that's, uh, you, you probably heard about it because uh, it's, the, it's the disease that claimed the life of uh, Senator McCain, but uh, it's just a, it's a very aggressive, malignant uh, tumor in the brain. Uh, it starts in like astrocytes, which is um, a helping cell in the brain. I would never talk to a glia biologist and say just a helping cell because they rip my head off. But um, an astrocyte that— I don't um, know how many of those we have listening right now, but— Yeah, yeah. yeah so, but we're uh, sorry, glia. Glia biologists. Yeah, we're sorry. You just say they're just helping cells. I mean, because now we know that they play more active roles and they're really important. Yeah. And, glia biologists are famous trolls on Twitter, right? I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is true. The, the is glia very, very Twitter true. is really aggressive. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just an aggressive tumor that uh, spreads throughout the brain. And it's as a sign of how aggressive it is, most patients, they usually you know, pass away within like a year to a year and a half. And there's really no good medications. And, and generally speaking, just in cancer in general, we're trying to kill cancer before we kill the healthy cells. And so as these things start to spread to more tissues, um, these chemotherapies are like toxic and, you know, they kill healthy tissues. And this is generally what often claims the lives of a lot of these cancer patients. Um, and so now we're trying to look at how we could kind of be a little more uh, special and like localized and, and specific in our treatments. And so mm-hmm. maybe we'd get better outcomes. And that's what the research is basically about. So uh, this might be a dumb question or a weird question, but I need to know, like, how how do you do the research? Like, walk me through the process. Yeah. So uh, a lot of times it's funny because you, you're, you're encouraged to tell research in kind of a and kind of a, a narrative, like mm-hmm. as if, you know, it's oh, a story. as it's a story. And <laughs> it, that's good because people that aren't in science, everyone likes hearing a good story and you, mm-hmm. you get a, uh, you get to captivate your audience or whatever. But it also gives kind of this false impression that you have these intuitions about things that, you know, aren't really true. And so really, you know, how this really worked was Emily, who was the, the lead, lead author on this study. Um, she said that basically they looked at these drugs and, she just noticed that she treated it in the evening and she wasn't looking for it, right? Mm-hmm. She just, she just like, she, that day she went into lab later and she saw this massive effect. And so she thought maybe it's a contaminant or something. Like this drug is acting weird. We need to order a new drug. It's like killing hmm. most of the, right? So that wasn't even the interest of, of the project. As I, as I understand, it. I wasn't there for the, for, for getting off the ground. And, and then, you know, she presents this to a circadian biologist, and this, like, makes his ears ring because it's like, oh, maybe there's a time-dependent, you know. And, and so then they basically just kind of do the exploration. You know these clock genes are important, so if they if it's a circadian thing, you should get rid of the clock genes, and then you won't see this effect. And essentially that's exactly uh, what happened. And so then they, it was kind of a, you know, developed a whole new field of, like, chronotherapy. It was basically timing of different drugs. Hmm. 
Um, how, and do so, you, how do you kill the clock genes? Yeah, that's a good question. So, <laughs> uh, so there's this new, you've probably heard of CRISPR uh, in, in the news, and, but it's like this genome editing. Nope. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's, it's a new like genetic We're following technology. different news. I We're think, following. Shayla, you've heard of it? Uh, right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, because you're another neuro person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so basically these new te- genetic technologies allow you to go in and delete genes. Um, and so, and pretty precisely too. And so uh, what this allows you to do, if you're interested in a gene, you're trying to understand its function, um, I'm not going to get into the technical details, but you basically kind of use this technology to go in and essentially just clip the gene out of the genome. And then you ask your question, what gene, what processes does this regulate? Or you're like looking for phenotypes. And so that's essentially what we did. There's a BMAL gene and you go in and you delete that. And when you delete this gene, it's the core clock gene. You don't see, you know, these daily rhythms and like you know, body temperature, you don't see that the sleep-wake cycle in mice are all screwed up. And mm-hmm. um, and so it throws off all the, the the circadian rhythms. And, of course, this is, like, groundbreaking work. So the people that actually figured this out were awarded the Nobel Prize in I remember you saying that um, before. Very cool. Yeah, so, but that's basically, yeah, you go and delete the genes, and then you basically repeat the experiments and ask if these cells can't tell what time it is. They're, like, timeless. Mm-hmm does it still display like a time-dependent sensitivity? Okay. And, and of course, what, what, what we found was that it doesn't have the time. When it can't tell what time of day it is, it doesn't have a circadian rhythm, then it doesn't, it doesn't display a time-dependent sensitivity. Um, and so that's just kind of evidence suggesting that maybe we should consider circadian cycles in the way when we prescribe mm-hmm. medicines and things like this. Just a more complicated something right. to complicate symptoms and all this other stuff that's going on in medicine. Right. So it sounds like, though, that the assumption is that this might not just be true for the for the glioplastoma work, but, but for lots of medications. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So circadian biology, just in general, is just blowing up. Ever since, well, I mean, if you get a Nobel Prize, then that's one way to get it to you right. know, yeah. be on everyone's I'm still working radar. on mine, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You and I both. Um, and so one of the things is now it's that's just one drug, but maybe there could be other drugs that like fail in clinical trials, but maybe you gave it at the wrong time. So you're not seeing the effect that you're, you know, you're looking at. Right. And what's interesting about drugs is it maybe get a little technical, but a lot of drugs are designed at these receptors that are encoded by genes. And if these genes, and we know, so actually earlier this year, science, they were publishing that every gene, so you have 20,000-ish genes in the genome, and every one of them are regulated rhythmically in at least one tissue. So every single gene somewhere in your body is on an oscillating cycle. And so if there's a disease that affects a particular organ or a tissue, you, it may be to your advantage to understand the circadian cycle in that particular tissue, especially if you're targeting it. Right. A receptor is a, a biological process that's on a rhythm. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, if you target it when it's dormant, then you don't see the effect. And then you look like, oh, this drug doesn't work. When maybe it does work, you just gave it at the wrong time. And so now a lot of drug companies are now trying to think about chronotherapy, and they're all now controlling for time and things like that. So, Wow. Yeah. And you, I think you mentioned either off-air or earlier that there are clinical trials going on related yeah, so, to the... Yeah, so at, at WashU, Barnes U, the hospital, so a lot of the, um, the oncologists are basically now, you know, taking the samples and trying to understand what the patient's circadian cycle is. And so we know that this drug acts best at like the trough of the circadian cycle. So if we can track the circadian cycle of the patients and give the drug at the time in which mm-hmm. it's most effective, then idea, the idea is that you'll kill more of the cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And so now, you know, that's going through like clinical trials and we're trying to see if we could improve the outcomes and stuff mm-hmm. of, or you know, life expectancy of people with this disease. Of course, it's not a cure, but it's just maybe the effective, the treatment would be effective. And if you right. could, 
you talk to the loved ones of people that have these diseases, you know, even if you can extend a life for a couple months, that's significant, right, when you're right. thinking of a loved one. Yeah. So. No, I think about that all the time. I had a family member who died of cancer and, and mm -hmm. ultimately extended, you know, was, was trying very hard to extend her her and a lot of people said well, why why would you go through all that but it's for her it was maybe it's one more graduation for a grandchild or yeah. one more birthday party mm -hmm. or whatever and that that is meaningful yeah you know? and, of course yeah so I want to back up a little bit and talk about uh, how you got where you are right now because um, I mean you you touch on some of it in your TED talk um, I'm assuming, <laughs> based on the side talk. But you talked on, on uh, about some of this, but maybe tell people a little bit about how you end up at Wash U and some of the experiences you had at GB, but also in high school that kind of got you where you are. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, so I was a, so I guess I, I started by saying like I'm a first-gen uh, college student. And so when I moved to Green Bay, you know, I was struggling academically. Um, and I was, you know, if you needed a poster child for what it meant to be at risk, um, that, that was me. <laughs> And, um, and so I, you know, and, you know, people try and motivate you, like, you're never going to get into college. And, and this is a message that never really resonated with me because no one in my family had gone to college. So they're like, Lorenzo, you're never going to go to college. And it's like, oh, well, I never, that was never part of the plan anyway. So right. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and so the school psychologists, they were about to like kick me out of the school, um, because I just had all these behavior issues and grade issues. And, um, and I, I still remember this conversation to this day, you know, I sat in our office and. She asked, she, she just explicitly asked me, she's like, you know, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And then I'm just like, hmm, that's interesting. And then she's like, well, why aren't you trying? And I think it was the first time that I ever had anyone like that genuinely just believe I can do anything. Right. And so mm -hmm. then she worked with me and got me a, you know, an education plan to get back on track to graduate. And so I graduated. Then I went to UWGB where I thought I wanted to give back. So I figured there's probably a lot of kids just like me who are at risk, whatever that means. Um, and they, it's not that they're not capable, but they just need like some motivation or, you know, some guidance. And so I figured I was going to major in psychology and be a school psychologist. And then I could be the same person for those students that she was for me. Mm -hmm. And she came to your side talk, didn't she? She did. Yeah. And oh. I think she was in tears. She, she was indeed. She, well, a lot of us were. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah but, she, but I think she, I don't think she, I don't know that I've ever, uh, I'd need to do a better job of this, but I don't think I ever like kind of told her how significant she was mm -hmm. you know she just came to the talk like oh i want to hear you see what you're up to mm -hmm. and then she gets the surprise that she was a you know a pivotal right. critical part of my journey um and you know she's i'm sure she's inspired a lot of other students just not me but um, mm -hmm. it's really it's rewarding when you can kind of tell them right. what they mean to you but that was really fun. We had, because there were a couple of your teachers, too. I think, what, Adam was there? Yeah, Adam was great. Mr. Rescurchin, he was, he, was he was in the audience as well. Yeah. He, so he was my psychology teacher, which is, right. which is interesting, because if you ever talk to him, he'll tell you that um, in his class, I barely passed his class. Mm -hmm. um, I took AP Psych. I did really well on all the tests, but I never did homework. You know, and I, I was like, you know, I'm too good for the homework thing. I, I was too good for a lot of things back then, but um, rules included. And this all sounds very familiar. This all sounds not, very not familiar. about you, but about me when I was growing up. But yeah, yeah exactly. And so, um, but yeah, so I, yeah, he was my, he was my psychology uh, teacher. And he also, you know, he was an inspiration for me mm -hmm. um, to major in psychology because he was just one of those, everyone has that really cool teacher in high school that right. they want to be. And Mr. Rescription was that for me. And then. Amy was also, I was like, oh, I could be a school psychologist. Like, I want to work in schools helping kids, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, they were both yeah. in the audience. They, uh, yeah, I actually get to see Adam this weekend. He's coming to Epic. He's presenting. That's right. I saw yeah. that on Facebook. Which is pretty cool. Facebook, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I thought that was really powerful, you know, having them there. And you're right. I mean, they yeah, it was really yeah, especially you know, because they don't, you know, you, they're teachers. They, you know, you you may it's sometimes it's kind of hard to kind of see what impact you have on students, mm-hmm. right? Because on a day to day, you see, you know the problems and all this other stuff. But then when you see it actually manifest to something, you know, like it being pivotal for someone's success, mm-hmm. they attribute your behavior, your your guidance to their success. And it's really, it makes your work that much more meaningful. And right. it, there's really no monetary value that you can have for, you know, being a difference between someone going down path A that's destructive to right. path B that's a little more productive, I guess. Right. So, but yeah, so. Right. So then you came to GB, and you knew at the start you wanted to uh, study psychology? I knew I wanted to study psychology, um, and I, I figured I wanted to go into school psych. And then, so part of it, I, I took a physio psych, with, physio psych and drugs and behavior with uh, Dr. Lorenz. And I was like, man, this is interesting, because, you know, I was thinking of psychology as just generally interested in, like, human behavior. And, you know, his classes kind of looked at kind of like the biology behind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting, uh, which interesting thing about that is so now I'm a neuroscience student and I you know in in biology but I told I hated biology when I came into college Hmm. in fact I told my high school teacher biology teacher you know you have these labs and you look under a scope and Mm -hmm. you're like I told him that these cells are so small they can't matter right I mean (laughs) if you got to look under a scope they're too small to matter and now I spend a significant amount of my time now <laughs> looking down microscopes and stuff. So, yeah. um, and he gives me he gives me crap about it all the time. So. <laughs> that was your high school teacher. That was my high school biology nice. teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in contact with a lot of your uh, your old yeah. teachers, man. Yeah, cool. I try. Yeah, I try. Yeah, I try to keep in contact. It's good. good. Yeah. So awesome. So you you took that class. So I took that class, and then I was like, "Cool, I, I kind of really like this." And so I end up taking you know all of his classes, developmental psychobiology, but then. There was a neurobiology class that I wanted to take, but, you know, you have these prereqs. And so I was like, you know, I'll give this science thing a try. I guess I hated science at a time when I maybe hated everything. But um, and so I, I gave science a, a whirl and I really I really enjoyed it. You know, once you go all in and decide that like, I'm going to do the most and try and understand everything, uh, science becomes a lot more fruitful in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so then I decided to major in human biology. Then I, I was trying to figure out, I wanted to go into medicine, actually. Uh, I thought about going into medicine, but that kind of, I, was, I wasn't scared away. But I, the doctor that I shadowed, he was an ALS doc. And one of the things that is interesting about some of these neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's is there's really no cure. And, and the reason is because we don't understand how the disease progress or initiates in the brain. And so... That's what, it, you know, I was like, I was interested in ask, asking those types of questions. And so then um, Dr. Lorenz was telling me about the summer, re- like, you should consider a career in research, right, mm-hmm. as a scientist. And I was like, hmm, be a scientist. Be one of you. Be just like you, huh? <laughs> hmm. um, he may or may not have been biased when he told me that. And so anyway, I decided to do a summer research program at the University of Iowa. And so there I was studying. Um, it, I was in a lab with Dr. Andrew Pieper where we studied these drugs that he found were protective in different mm-hmm. models of neurodegeneration. And I want to I want to quick point out to you. You said you decided to do that, but that was a competitive process, right? I mean, was, you had to apply. And, yeah, you had to apply. You had to write a person. In, in fact, when I wrote my personal, you know, you look at the application components, like personal statement, like what, well, like my story isn't that interesting. I don't think I'm going to get in, and my grades, like I, I don't know that I'm, you know. And so actually, uh, Chris Vespia, she, I, I literally just walked into her. What's interesting about uh, Chris is she. I've never had her in class. I don't mm-hmm. know if she ever told you this. I've never had her in class. Yeah, she was like a significant piece to getting, like she helped me with my personal statement for the summer program. Mm-hmm. 
personal statement for grad school. I mean, I still send her stuff now to read for grants. Hmm. Um, and she's just like a phenomenal, right. phenomenal, just um, yep. just a life coach in general, it's not just academically, but yep. just, a, uh, yeah. just a, a good person. No, she um, is, there is no getting around it. She is just ad- advisor extraordinaire when it yeah. comes to that stuff. She now, made, when I first submitted my piece of writing to her, she, I mean, I, I was like, man, should I go back to English? Like, do I know how to write a sentence? Um, you know, everything's in red. But, you know, she says email, you're off to a great start, and then you open a document, and it's three times as long as, you know, with all the comments yeah. and suggestions. But it really, you know, worked out for the better. I mean, she's just, now my writing skills are, are better. Um, mm-hmm. And so thanks thanks to her. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did a summer program, and then I was like, you know, I really like the research thing. And so I decided that I would go for the Ph.D. in, in neuroscience. And so I decided to go to the University of Iowa, where... I joined a lab with Dr. Bud Tucker, who he studies degenerative blindness. So similar conditions, neurodegenerations when nerve cells die in the, in the brain, but if it happens in the eye, then it's degenerative blindness. And so we're looking at those types of things. And uh, I was presenting at a conference, and the program director at WashU, Eric Herzog, who is now um, the, the PI that runs this uh, GBM project, Glioblastoma mm-hmm. project, um, he came up and he, he was telling me about WashU's neuroscience program. And essentially, was trying to get me to come to Washington University. Um, and I was like, hmm, I don't know. You know, it was a social event where there was drinking and stuff. And I was like, maybe he's just a social person being nice. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he makes that offer to everybody. Yeah, yeah, right. he makes that offer to everyone. <laughs> yeah. And so then, long story short, yeah, so then I end up like going there and interviewing. And I really liked it. And so I you know, decided to um, go on over to Wash U to pursue my right. PhD in neuroscience there. So I need our listeners to know that Lorenzo is like, next level humble like that that story that you just described that doesn't happen to people like it happened to you (laughs) but it doesn't people don't just have people come up to them and and poach them from or or try and maybe poach isn't the right word but recruit them from a graduate to a graduate program like that's an extraordinary uh accomplishment and it speaks to you doing amazing work Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Only if I could get my thesis committee to think I do meaningful work. Well, on that note, I do also want to bring up that you told me off air that you just passed your qualifying exams. Yes, the qualifying exam. That's uh, yeah, it was a tough. It it's basically so now officially I'm a PhD candidate, whatever that means. Um, but yeah, so I had to you know you just basically write this grant and then you have to present it in front of a group of scientists. Who Eric Herzog again? He was mm-hmm. on my thesis committee, so I lucked up there. Um, and so, yeah, I passed my qualifying exam, so now I'm not, they can't kick me out of the program now. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for good. <laughs> Outstanding. Very cool. Is there any, we're, we're about to wrap up here, but is there, is there other stuff you want people to know, whether it's about the research you're doing, about time at GB, the stuff at high school? Yeah, I, I really, I think probably the big thing is, um, if, especially here at GB, I think one of the big things is just one of the, I, I didn't talk too much about it in the TED Talk or, or here, mm-hmm. but just being involved. So one of the things, there's just so many opportunities when you're involved. You know, I was involved with student government and you know, psych department. You were vice president, and, right? Student yeah, government. yeah, I was, I was vice president. And so you— there It's was that big, humble thing again, right? I was involved. In I was involved. Fact, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. And yeah, so I was just—if you, you get involved in uh, different things, you meet different—I mean, and I just talk to people outside of science and— you know, uh, outside of academia even, and you just forge these relationships. And, you know, just a lot of times it's, they say, you know, a lot of life is not what you know, but who you know. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly the case uh, for me. Um, and so I would I would just say, if, if you're here, just get involved. You know, if you're, you're having mm-hmm. questions, I always tell people experiences what you get when you don't get what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just go all in and just try and meet as many people and, you know, 
it'll it'll work out for the better. That is amazing advice, and I appreciate it. So, um, I mean, I think the listeners appreciate it too. So, uh, I have to ask before we go. So, if people are sitting here listening and they want to find out more about your work or anything like that, they obviously they can watch the TED Talk, which will be live probably shortly after this. But where can people learn more about what you do? Uh, that's interesting. Um, scientific journals. Scientific journal. Yeah, Google, PubMed. Uh, look at look at presentations. Yeah. So the work that the work that I do. I, I wouldn't say that just my work is interesting, but you could look at, if you're interested, especially with what was going on in the side talk, you could look at, you can Google uh, Eric Herzog, um, his lab, and he, he has multiple projects going on, but then you, you can look at the different types of, you know, he has a glioblastoma project in circadian biology, but, you know, I've also recently worked with one of his postdocs on understanding how circadian cycles and train today to light and so understanding how it takes light signals and coordinates these messages um so you could just like look up eric herzog's lab page and you can see not only the work that we've done but some of the ongoing projects in the lab and um and then yeah there's be references and you can read those dense uh packed science articles if you're interested very nice so that is going to do it for this episode special thanks to our guest lorenzo loans lorenzo thank you very much for being here today and for all having me and for all the other work you're doing i also want to thank our producer kate farley and our podcast artist kimberly release and our fabulous intern shayla warren who does all the things make sure to join us next time when we talk about something else likely related to psychology or stuff until then keep being amazing